0: We are are going to be in First Peter today. We are working our way through a little at a time, and we're just going to keep going until we finish. And if I don't get quite through it, then we'll pick up where we left off the next week. So uh, just be reading ahead and praying through this, and and hopefully you're praying for me as as I prepare. Because um, you know I get up here and a lot of times and it's like, Lord, I don't. I hope you've got something to say because I certainly don't. Um, and he always does. He always does. And I'm so grateful for that. But with that in mind, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. It's living and active, and and it brings brings everything we need in our lives to us. Sometimes something good when we need encouragement or comfort, and sometimes a, a slap across the face to get our attention in a way that is good, a loving jolt to say, wake up. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me just shine a light on what you've already said through Peter here and and that your spirit would work in our hearts and minds and in this place, whether we're online or in the room, to hear what you have to say, to understand what you're saying, comprehend it to a level that we might be willing to place our faith in it, actively living it. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' name, amen. So... We're, the series is called A Living Hope in a Dying World. A Living Hope in a Dying World. And we've talked about that living hope already. Verse 3 in this first chapter lays it out. That's the key verse for the passage. Well, in this, so we're going to pick up in 13 and we're going to go through 21 at least. Okay? I'm hoping a little more, but we'll take it as it comes. And I want you to picture. Of, of, of sideways V, okay? So if you live around here, you guys know we have Canadian geese coming and going all the time. And they're always leaving their little gifts on the sidewalk and in the parking lots, and they stand in the parking lots and in the roads as if they own them, don't they? And so they can be pretty annoying, but they do something. I also, they also do something I think is pretty cool, and that is they, sh- they fly in that V formation, okay? And so I want to use that shape to kind of help us think about uh, what Peter is saying, and he's weaving it in structurally into the text. Okay? And so if you th- think about that V formation, there's a point to it, and then there's two at the back. And, and what I want you to see is that verse 3 is one of those in the back, and verse 21 is the other one in the back, and they both come together at verse 13. So what I want to do before I start working through the whole passage, starting in 13, is I want to read those three verses back to back so that you can kind of see what's happening there. All right, so verse 3 says, Praise be to God and and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and then he goes on into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So we see that living hope comes to us through new birth, okay? That's what it means when the Bible talks about being born again. Now look at verse 21, which we're going to get to, and He says, Through him, through him is Jesus, through Jesus you believe, he's talking to Christians, you believe in God, who raised Him, Jesus, from the dead, there's the resurrection again, and glorified Him, that is, exalted Him, and so, therefore, your faith and hope are in God. Now, these two point to verse 13, look at that. Therefore, now remember, whenever we see the word therefore, we always ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore, all right? And we remember that it's pointing back And what it's there for is that verse 3 and everything that falls in behind it. But therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, and here's the imperative, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope on the grace of that living hope that we read in verse 3. He refers to in verse 21, and here he's driving home to point to say structurally I'm aligning this text so that it, so that you see the point of the V as the point of the passage. Okay? That's so we don't miss it. So I'm not telling you the verse is easy to um, understand and comprehend. It's, you know, that some of these verses are real. I mean, to me, Peter, the, the way he's writing here is, is challenging because it's so dense. There's so much in just a word even, that it's, it takes some time to process what does this mean and what are the implications of this? Well, the title today is, is How Should We Live in Light of That Living Hope? How should we live in light of that? And he's going to tell us here, and and really I'm going to use two kind of main points to to illustrate this. One is verse 13, we need to be ready. And then the rest of the passage will be we need to be holy. Okay, how do we live in light of this living hope? So I'm going to use another picture. So I want you to think about you're gonna we're gonna get creative, okay, a little bit. Or right, I want you to imagine a clipper ship. Now, if you don't know what a clipper ship is, it's the old older ships, 100 plus years old, with all the big masts and lots of sails, right? Think pirate ship if you want, if that helps. And then you know, on those ships, there's something called the crow's nest, and it's a basically it looks like an oaken bucket, half open on top, and somebody scurries up the the mat uh, the mast, and they they get their binoculars or their spyglass out, and they're looking because they can see further from there than anywhere else. Now, I want you to imagine that we're, we are on a, sh- a ship like that, not a pirate ship, but just a clipper ship, and we have been on that ship. Um, we're coming across a long body of water, and we've been on for months, and we're searching for land that we've never been to. Okay, so kind of think like an explorer, and the captain is convinced the land is west, and so we've been heading west for months, but we're almost out of food, we're almost out of water, And we're on the edge of mutiny because we're just like, we just want to string this captain up. We are not convinced he knows what he's doing, and we are hungry and thirsty and scared. People are sick. Some people have already died. Scurvy is running through us. We are not in a good place. And we direct our fury at the captain, and the captain continues to say, we are staying the course. We are doing this. This is what we're doing. And he sends a guy up the mast named Peter. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. So Peter goes up the mast, he gets in the crow's nest, he pulls out a spyglass and he starts looking and he hollers down, land ho! And immediately our spirits are lifted. We're encouraged. There's hope. Did our circumstances change? Nope. We're still on the same ship with the same problems. What What has changed? Why did we... Why were we encouraged? Because we heard something we believed that gave us hope. That's what Peter's doing. Peter, through this letter, is in the crow's nest, and he is shouting through this letter that is sent to Christians who are being persecuted in the region of Galatia, Land ho! And that land he's pointing to is the promised land, okay? Okay. It's our future hope in Christ. So what's the point? Well, goodness gracious, we're going through trials too. We might not have scurvy, praise the Lord, but we've got stuff. We've got issues, we've got illness, we've got health issues, we've got job issues, we've got relational issues. And some of them are perpetual and see we see no hope. We see no end in sight. Peter says, land ho! which is code for us for this is is not all there is. This is a nanosecond in the rest of our lives spent somewhere. And there's a hope that awaits us, a living hope. And it's called a living hope because it's built on the resurrection. And the resurrection of Christ says not only is he resurrected, but you and I one day in Christ have that same hope. And no matter what the enemy throws at us, no matter what life lets come our way, no matter what God lets come our way, the trials and tribulations in our lives, there's hope. And this isn't it. And when we see that and we get our eyes on it, it's like that whole crew of us, when we heard there was land, we just our spirits were lifted, and we I can do this now. Whereas before it felt hopeless. I don't, I don't doubt that there's people in the room, people watching online, that feel hopeless right now. You're just tired, worn out, frustrated, and it just seems like there's no end in sight. And no earthly end in sight is probably accurate. But God is the hope. He gives us this living hope that gives us the the ability to say, this isn't all there is, and I can do this in Christ. Okay? That's what he's trying to do in this letter. So how do we respond to that? If we get a hold of that, like the crew did, like we all did when we heard that there was land and that gave us hope. How do we respond? Well, we respond like Peter started last week. We read that whole passage, and the whole passage is blessing and praising the Lord. So that's the first place. But the second is we respond with, well, then we ought to live as he expects us to live, with a mindset to be holy. And that means a lot of things. So let's just kind of, what does holy mean? What does it mean to be holy? It means to to live life distinct from the rest set apart, pure, okay? From the rest of who? The rest of the world, okay? God created a world and when he created the world, it was good and he created everybody and he got to people and he said, it is great. And that lasted two chapters of the whole Bible, first two chapters of the Bible. And then things went sideways because we were tempted and we gave into that temptation and our world became corrupt and decaying and we live in this dying world and have been ever since. But God did not abandon us, okay? And he's given us this living hope to remind us, I'm with you, and I'm going to see you through whatever it is you're going through. And you're going to be not, you have an opportunity to become better as a result of this. Not bitter, better. We have a choice. We have a say. Even though he is working, and so um, let's pick it up here. Let's let's go back to thirteen, and let me unpack some of these words because thirteen is is uh, it's got a phrase in here that you can't see in the English. Okay, so the New Testament's written in Greek. Okay, and no, I can't read Greek, even though I took two semesters of it. Uh, I can uh, read other people who know Greek, and so I can learn from them. All right, and remember, Peter is the apostle to the Jews, so he's writing to Jews who can read Greek. I know, right? Because it's the Roman Empire. That makes sense, because I think Roman Empire, I think Latin, right? But yeah, the worldwide language at that time, kind of the English of their day, was Koine Greek, which is a dead language, and that's a side note, sorry. Kind of like if you, read, uh, if you try to read Canterbury Tales, Old English, right? I can't read it. I mean, I could say it, but I can't read it and comprehend. And so Koine Greek is like that to the Greeks today. It's not modern Greek, but he's using a Jewish phrase. The Jews would have understood. Gird up your loins. Now, if you know what that means, then I know you've been in the church a while, or you read an older Bible translation that uses that phrase in the translation, gird up your loins. Otherwise, you're like, what? We're not talking about... We're not talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, something that they did, and I'll just give you an example of when. So I want you to think back to, if you remember the story of Moses, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, God says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no, 10 times, right as the 10th plague is coming. They are are given instructions, the the Jews are given instructions by God, I want you to do this, I want you to, and I'm not going to give you all the instructions, but a couple of them are, I want you to take that lamb that you've had set aside, I want you to slaughter the lamb and paint the door frame on your house with the blood of the lamb, symbolizing Jesus to come, so that when the angel of death comes, he will pass over, okay? Part of the instructions includes something that we probably read and just read over and don't even think about. It says, in the old language, gird up your loins, which means prepare yourself to run, okay? It'd be kind of like if you're in the house and you're wearing uh, your bathrobe and, and, you're, and you're told, gird up your loins. That means go get something on presentable so you can run, okay? The way it would have been for them is they would, men and women wore long robes, and that's fine unless you're trying to run or work in the field. And so if you are trying to work or run in the field, Running in the field or run or work, you would have to your feet are going to get tangled up. So you gird them up. You grab this and and you pull it between your legs and you shove it down your belt. Okay, so you're still covered, you're still relatively modest, but you can now run without tripping up. And remember, they're getting ready to migrate from Egypt to what they think is going to be the promised land. And then there's the big detour for 40 years. Okay, and so God's saying you need to get ready to move. That's his way of saying it. Now, Peter says that same phrase. If we were to unpack this and read this, it would say say this. and and, And Peter would add some words. He would say, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, get ready to think. Right? Great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to think well as part of our way of loving God. Well, that means we think about what he wants us to think about. What would that be? Hmm, I wonder. Maybe some of this. And so he's saying, therefore, in light of this living hope that we've been praising God for, for 11 verses, 9 verses, set your hope on the grace of that living hope. In other words, focus your thinking and orient your thinking around Christ and what he's done for you. And the implications are that no matter what trial or tribulation you're going through, God will be there and reminding you. Not only this is testing your faith to make sure it's genuine, but this is also going to make your um, it's going to create a character in you that glows and shines for the Lord. In other words, you're going to be the person He created you to be, a chip off the old block, right? You've heard it where people um, with um, people who have real pedigree in their family you know, like Rockefeller or Kennedy or Bush or some of these other names, right? I imagine that the parents talk to their kids often about being someone worthy of the last name, okay? And then they would have some expectations tied to that. This is, what, this is how a Kennedy lives or this is how a Bush lives or whatever, okay? Well, God has got some expectations too, he just wrote them down for us, which is really convenient. Well, uh, he's going to un- he's going to give us some of that in broad strokes, okay? And so I, that's where fourteen picks up. Now you're going to see familial language as well, meaning he's going to start talking about us and God in terms of father and children and ancestors, and that that's something that's going to continue through the book, the letter is First Peter. Because he's reminding us, Peter's reminding us, you're part of a family. Pat alluded to this earlier. We're part of a family, and we should act like it. Well, maybe not like your family or my family, but like the family of God, right? Like the shining example that God would call us to be, not necessarily how our families interact. But in some ways, yes, how our families interact, you know? We're not always sweet to each other. We don't always talk with kindness, but we are honest sometimes, And sometimes it doesn't come out great. But honesty would be a huge trait of holiness, okay? So let's look at it in detail. So this very first phrase is another one I need to pull out out here. As obedient children, okay, I don't know if any translation here says it this way, but children of obedience is literally what it says, which to me at first sounded like, oh, we're just reversing the words. But no, it's a little more. Children of obedience sounds like obedience is the parent. Now think about that. If I'm gonna be a chip off the old block and my block, my dad and my mom are obedient to the Lord, then I need to reflect. It's, it's another way to intentionally say, you're not just being obedient, you're being a reflection of the obedience that they are in Christ. Okay? So now we're starting to head towards this be holy as I am holy talk. Okay? So as obedient children or children of obedience, do not, he starts off with a negative, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance okay? We all were born ignorant, okay? Ignorant shouldn't be an insult. It actually can be a fact. You don't know anything, and I was born ignorant, and so were you because we were born not knowing hardly anything, okay? And even if we did know it, nobody could tell, so we at least look ignorant, but um, so there we lived in ignorance, and our desires were driven in ignorance, okay? This is another way of saying you used to live by feelings, and you, some of us go, well, what's wrong with that? Feelings are fine. It's orienting your life around them that's dangerous, right? They're unpredictable. They are hard to control because feelings happen. And if we operate based on our feelings, we're going to do a lot of things we shouldn't do, and we're going to not do things we should, right? I don't feel like going to the gym to work out today. I do feel like going to the buffet at Golden Corral. You see? All right, so, so you, I could camp there for a long time. I won't. We'll move on. Verse 15, but just as He called you holy, and He does call His people holy. In fact, He declared you holy, declared us righteous. That's what justified means, declared right with God. That's a position that we have in Christ, not a practice. It doesn't mean we always live that way, but it means that we are in His eyes, Holy. Otherwise, we couldn't get into heaven. Otherwise, salvation wouldn't be ours. Okay? So, but just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Okay? I didn't really say that right. But just as He called you, so He didn't... He did justify us, but that's not what it's saying there. Okay? Sorry. So be holy in all that you do. In other words, because He is holy, be like Dad, your Father in heaven. Be holy. And then he quotes Leviticus, for it is written, be holy because I'm holy. That's an incentive. That's a motivation for us to do what he says in verse 13, set your hope on the grace of that new new birth. Verse 17, since you call on a father, there's another family language, children, father. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. Okay, so here comes another motivation. He judges impartially. Live out your time. As foreigners here in reverent fear, so we see another characteristic of our Father. He is He is someone that we should revere and fear. Okay. Now, even when okay, so all of all of our parents are imperfect. I, we are imperfect parents, and on on and on and on. But there's a sense in which when you're when let's say I'll just use my dad for example. There is times when my dad did things well. Okay, like when he would discipline, he would discipline well, and there was a sense in which okay, I love my dad. Um, he's gone. He's been, he's with, and I didn't like him very much when he was disciplining me. Okay. Cause it usually involved pain. Okay. As it should discipline re- requires pain at some point, in some way. Okay. So I respected and feared the consequences of my disobedience. Okay. Does that make sense? So that's a healthy fear, right? Because if it keeps me from disobeying, then it's helped me in a good way. And it's honored him in the process. So if you take that imperfect example and put that on a perfect heavenly father, this is what he's calling us to. He's, he's saying, I'm watching what you're doing. And I see everything that you're doing. And he's talking to us as, father, as, as children of God. Okay, I'm not talking about, okay, he sees what the lost do as well. But let's just, he's, remember who he's writing to, Christians. He says, Christian, God sees everything you do. Oh, but it gets worse. He also knows everything you think and he hears everything you say. And he even notices what you don't do that you should have done. So we're busted, right? I mean, hand in the cookie jar times infinity, right? God knows what we're doing, and he is going to judge. Now, there's two judgment seats. I don't remember which one's which, but the first one is sheep and goats, right? Are you on the narrow way that leads to life, or are you on the broad road that leads to destruction? And, and if you pass that, you're on the narrow way. If you fail that, you're on that, and you're done, okay? You've chosen, you're getting what you've chosen, which is I don't want to be anywhere near God, okay? If you're on the narrow way, there's a second judgment, and this judgment is what did you do with what I gave you, okay? I gave you Jesus. I gave you eternal life. I've given you resources. What did you do with that? And from that, God gives you rewards or doesn't. Think of the parable of the talents, the parable of the minions where there's different people getting different amounts of talents, and then they, they go off and they do something with it or they don't, and they come back and they give an account. Same thing, that's the second judgment. For, that's what Christians stand before God at some point, and we give an account for what we did with what he gave us. So if I live for myself and I go, well, I'm just going to hang on by the skin of my teeth and just hope that I don't do anything wrong, you're going to show up with nothing to show for what God has given you. You're going to be like the one that had nothing no return. And that's God's way of saying, and that means you're really not one of mine. Or if you are skin of your teeth. Okay. If you have done something that has contributed to the kingdom of God, if you have, if you have poured your time, energy, talents, um, your resources into what God is doing, kingdom work, gospel work, you have a return. There's a return. And you may not even know what the return is. And that's okay. Cause he knows, cause he knows it all. All right, and so he, ju- but he judges impartially. Okay, so I don't get, I don't get a little extra. Po- I don't get any extra points for being a preacher. In fact, if anything, I get it's harder, it's worse. Okay, higher bar, if you will. If you teach the word of God, scriptures say higher bar of accountability. Okay, but he, you know, he he judges impartially. This is a good thing because it says that he is fair, and I'm hesitant to say it that way because we oftentimes also say life's not fair, and that's true. But God is just because He's holy. Justice is a subset of holiness, okay? While fair is also there, fair in our eyes isn't always equal to what God's thinking is fair and right, right? We don't want fair. We don't want what we deserve. Does that make sense? Because what do we deserve? Right? We deserve God's wrath. So we don't really want fair, we want mercy. So bring on the mercy, God pour it out. All right? That's what we want. So, uh, he, uh, so he, he works impartially, our uh, Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners, reminding us that we're exiles in this world, here in reverent fear. So we are to, to remember God is holy and that God is worthy of our fear and reverence, okay? And this is a time where we, we honor God with our lips. The rest of our lives out there is our, when we honor God with our lives. You're not just worshiping God when you're singing a song. I'm sorry to break that to you. Okay? We worship God by how we live. All right? You can read Scripture in such a way that you're worshiping God while you're reading it, and you can read Scripture in a way you're not. There's a famous devotion by John Piper where he talks about how to drink a glass of orange juice to the glory of God. And I remember reading that title going, this guy's crazy. All right? actually had a really good word to say there. The point is, in all you do, do it for the glory and honor of God, okay? That's internally, externally. All right. So, um, verse 18, for, okay, so we have just kind of give us a backtrack. Remember last week we said that uh, we said the verses 1 and 2 were the source of our salvation, our hope, and then we said that we had the guarantee of our hope then we said we had the joy of our hope, and then we talked about the prophets and how they saw our hope and the angels, how they see our hope and wish they could see more of that. And then we moved here into 13, and this is our response to the hope. We've been talking about how do I respond to that. We're moving towards the cost of this hope, okay? Verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. There's more family. But "...with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God." So here we see that it's not silver or gold, which is funny, he calls it temporary, When we think of silver and gold, precious metals, we think of something that actually lasts, right? And he's saying, compared to the blood of Christ, that's nothing, because this is nothing. This is so brief and temporary. And he's going to make that point when he quotes Isaiah here in a minute. The cost of our hope is the cross of Christ. That is a picture of the love of Christ, the love of God the resurrection that follows, which is why our cross is empty, is the power of God. So we have the love of God on display, the power of God confirming that what he did was, was good enough. Now, let's finish this up here. Verse 22, Now now that you have been purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Again, this is in, under the umbrella of be holy. And then he's going to give us the vehicle of our hope. Okay? There's going to be two, two, basically two means we receive this hope. For you have been born again, there's the first one, not of perishable seed, which is temporary, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. There's the second. And then he's going to make these profound statements for quoting Isaiah, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Okay? So we see that the two, vehicles so we have the, the new birth and the old book, okay? The new birth is another way of saying being born again. He's talked about that already. The Bible teaches, John 3 is the classic text on this, that you must be born again to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens when you place your faith in Christ. When you say, I repent of my sins and I turn to God in great, by grace through faith, I turn to Jesus, then you, what happens is God makes you a new creature in Christ. He makes you a new person, which empowers you, to do things you couldn't do before. It empowers you to be holy, not just in position, which he declares, but in practice, which we have to actually pull off, again, by the grace of God. And when we fail, his forgiveness is available. All right? When my children were growing up and they did something wrong, we would talk about it, we'd deal with it, and we'd move on, right? I still love them. That didn't change. They're still my kids. There's nothing that's going to change that, even if their behavior makes me want to cringe sometimes, right? Right? Not that my kids ever did that. And then we have the old book, the Word of God. The Bible describes the Word of God as written, but it also describes it as living. Not only is the living word written, but Jesus is called the living word in John one. In the beginning, in the beginning, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse fourteen says, "And the Word became flesh." and dwelt among us. That's Jesus coming down. That's Christmas. Jesus is God in the flesh. All right? He came to tabernacle with us. To, he pitched his tent in our midst in the modern day or in the day of, of his day. All right? Now today he lives in our hearts. He's pitched his tent in our hearts and he tabernacles with us. And collectively we are the temple of God, the church, the body of Christ, the family of God. The bride of Christ. All that imagery, all that is wrapped up. Okay, so so uh, so what are we what are we saying? Let's let's restate and, and land this plane. So, um, how do we respond to this living hope? Okay, the the Romans used this instrument called a tribulum, and they would use it to to take the 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 wheat harvest would come in, and they were trying to separate the kernels from the husks. Okay, and you want to. You wanted, So they would use this device that had rollers instead of wheels, and it had like bits of glass and metal and, and rock in it, and they would roll it over the stalks so that it would crunch up the husks and the husks would fall away from the kernels. So it was rough enough to tear up the husks, but gentle enough to not damage the kernels because the kernels are what you're trying to harvest. That's where you get your flour and make your bread. and your Krispy Kreme donuts from, okay? That's, that's how they did that back then, you know, the red sign back in Hebrew. All right, so, so they, they would use this as tribulum, and the root of the word tribulum is the same root of the word tribulation, okay? Now, I want you to think about the trials and tribulations you're going through right now, and I want you to picture God using the tribulum in your life right now. He is allowing these trials to happen. You know why? You know why I know he's allowing it to happen? Because he says through James in chapter 1, 2 through 4, "...consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds." Which is crazy talk unless you understand why. "...because the testing of your faith produces perseverance." Let perseverance finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That sounds like a good place to land, doesn't it? Uh, I think I want to stand before God, mature and complete, right? That sounds like better, not bitter. I like that response to trials, and that's what he's saying. And just like he, the, the tribulum was designed to pull away the, the chaff but not destroy the kernels, if we're the kernels, the tribulation he's allowing to way is not going to break us because he's with us because he knows just the right amount and he won't give you any more than you can handle. And I know it probably feels like I'm getting more than I can handle. I promise you. Okay. But you're not if you're in Christ, which is a big caveat, isn't it? Think of a piece of iron ore. You realize iron comes out of the ground. So to get a piece of bar of iron ore It's worth about five bucks, let's say. If you take that to the fire and you pound on it and you heat it up, it starts to get into something you can use and you can shape it into something like a horseshoe. I know we don't shoe horses much around here, but that happens. Some people still do that or you play horseshoes. I don't know how you use yours, but, or if you even have any, Um, that's worth about $10. Same iron ore is worth about $10 as a horseshoe. But if you take it and you continue to fire it and do basically take it through Great Tribulation, you can make a sewing needle. And all the sewing needles and a bar of iron ore could add up to about $3,000, which is worth a lot more than $5 bar of iron ore. Or you could take it further and you could make it into a spring that goes into a watch. And that same amount of iron ore is worth $250,000. Now, that's the same. We're working with the same thing. What's the only difference? It's been through tribulation. Okay? Now, easy for me to say, because I'm not going through what you're going through. But God is working in your life and on your character to make you worth more. Not because, in one sense. In another sense, you are, you are his treasure no matter what okay? There's a sense in which if you're his, you're his treasure. He treasures you no matter how you perform, okay? But there is a sense in which we want to move towards maturity and completeness in Christ, right? And if you want your character refined, then when the trials come your way, you have the opportunity to embrace them instead of hate them. I'm not saying seek them out. I'm not saying that they feel good. They don't, or they wouldn't be called suffering and tribulation, right? And yet, we know there's a purpose behind God allowing it, right? We knew last week it said to test the genuineness of your faith. Is your faith real? You don't want to find that out when you stand before the first judgment seat of God. You want to know now it's good, right? And a tri- the trials in your life are the opportunity for you to figure that out. And second, it's to refine you and me to make us more mature and complete because we, as we persevere through it, okay? That's hard to... That's hard to hear if you're going through really hard trials right now, but it also should be hope-filled. Remember, Peter is in the crow's nest. Land ho! He sees the hope that you and I need to keep our eyes on, okay? As we're going through these trials and tribulations, let's not take our eyes off the hope, the living hope that is Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. It was proven and, and vindicated in the resurrection. Let's not let go of that. Let's embrace it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know this is really hard for people because they want relief from their trials. I do. We do. And we do pray for relief. We pray for healing. We pray for comfort. We pray for you to help us through our circumstances. And we know that you do that. And we've seen it, and we pray for it, and we ask for it. We ask for all of that and more. But in the meantime, because sometimes you answer that prayer promptly and immediately, and sometimes you you let it string out for the purposes of which we've just talked. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace and mercy to endure and to persevere with our eyes set on you and the living hope that you are in Christ, as Christ, in our life. Lord, for those in the room that don't know you, they don't have access to any of this until they trust you. Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts and their minds and their, heart, their lives to you to believe and receive that you have died for them so that you, they could live for you. And that is simply prayerful acknowledgement. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I surrender all. Lord, for some of us, that's something we have struggled with. We have surrendered in the past, but we've pulled it back, and we're hanging on. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the confidence in your goodness to let go again, to surrender our lives to you again, for you are good, you are God, and you care. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we end our service with the Lord's Supper because we want to be reminded of the cost of our hope. Okay, so you don't have to be a a member of Grace Christian Fellowship. You should be a believer in good standing, which means no unconfessed sin. All right? And if you do have unconfessed sin, well, you can fix that right now. Right? You can just pray and say, God, I confess, I admit, I agree, this is sinful that you're tapping me on the shoulder about. And then come and celebrate the Lord's Supper. You just come. and peel off to the left or the right, and you'll get a piece of bread which represents the abuse that Jesus took before the cross and on the cross, and then a cup of grape juice that reminds us of the blood that was shed. His life was given, he died. Otherwise, the resurrection is not very impressive, right? He had to be dead for this to be right and good and, and what it is for us. And we celebrate that. So just take that, go back to your seat, pray, let go of that sin, and walk out of here. Leave your suitcases of guilt behind. Right? That's what he wants you to do. Just leave him at the foot of the cross. And he will meet you in that place with forgiveness and peace. And that will carry you through your circumstances, no matter how bad they are. Okay? If you need someone to pray with, I'll be over there in the corner. And uh, I'll be praying until someone wants prayer. Um, and But um, just let's do this. So musicians, if you guys have come and those who are serving at the tables, if you'll make your way there. And let me just pray as they come again. Lord, I just, I pray right now for the people in this room and the people watching online and the people who watch this in the future. Lord, and I just ask, Lord, for you to just touch their lives in a very profound way, as if there was any other way that you could touch our lives. Help us to realize that you really do love us. Help us to realize that you demonstrated that love on the cross, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us so that we could live for him. Help us keep our eyes on the prize in the midst of our trials. In Jesus' name.